We're in the fourth week of Lent, but this is the fifth week of our current message series all about making sense of life not making sense. And as we've already noted, if ever we offered a message series that perfectly fits the time we find ourselves in, this is it. It's a series that makes complete sense for a period of time that makes no sense. We kicked off the series by introducing three principles to keep in mind throughout this series. First principle, it makes sense that God doesn't make sense. If there is an all-powerful, all-knowing being, then of course he wouldn't always think as we think and act as we act. It just makes sense. Second principle, when God doesn't make sense, it can be an opportunity to grow in our understanding of God because God has revealed himself to us through Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. He's told us a lot about himself, and we can always grow in our understanding. Third principle, please don't confuse God not making sense with life not making sense. We took some time in the course of this series to look at how to make sense of when God says no When God says no, Jesus himself shows us that God's no can actually help us when it comes to living in freedom from sin and temptation. We looked at when God seems to let us down, especially on the major promises of life, things that are a great big deal to us like marriage, kids, money. When we set our hearts on a dream that proves elusive, The instinct is to look for someone to blame, and maybe that someone is God. Turns out, the disappointment or delay might be a question of God's timing. The disappointment or delay could just be a question of God's timing. Perhaps he's using the delay or disappointment to actually grow our faith. Last week, we looked at why God seems to allow the wrong people to be in charge? Why does God allow corrupt people to gain and hold power? We learn that God does indeed see his people suffering under corrupt leadership. He has a heart for them. And no matter their circumstances, in him they can always find freedom of spirit. In him we can always find freedom of spirit. The people of the Ukraine are currently demonstrating a freedom of spirit. Well, today we want to look at those times that God doesn't seem very cooperative. In fact, he can even seem to be in the way. There are are irritations in life that come up again and again. They just keep on coming. Perhaps you have a systems problem that you can't seem to solve at work. Things are just not going well, and it's, it's definitely not your fault, and you don't know what to do about it. You may have a communication problem at home, and it's definitely affecting your marriage or your relationship with your kid, with your siblings or kids. You may be facing a, a relationship problem. You just can't seem to make friends at school. You're an outsider. You feel like an outcast. Or your issue might be health-related. You're constantly dealing with health issues, and you're sick of it. And if you weren't so sick, you could accomplish 
so much more. When those obstacles appear, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything to help, to say, to say the least, it can be annoying. It can make us grumpy. We can find ourselves grumbling and complaining. It was St. Teresa of Avila who on one particularly difficult day looked up to heaven shaking her fist and said, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. Sometimes we feel like that. To take a closer look at this very topic, we're dipping in to the Gospel of Luke where we read this. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the religious leaders get annoyed that the tax collectors and sinners, people who had no relationship with God and no right to be anywhere near a church, were flocking to Jesus. This happened all the time. People who were nothing like Jesus liked him. The religious leaders didn't understand that. They grumbled and complained about that. And so, Jesus goes on to tell three stories. We call them parables, all about something or someone who was lost, who was lost. The third parable is perhaps the most famous. It's called the parable of the prodigal son, and we just read it in today's gospel. The parable is full of rich meaning as it explores the heart of God the Father. Just as the father in the story welcomes home his rebellious son, God our Heavenly Father welcomes home anyone who returns to him. The whole books have been written on this very parable. But we're going to just look briefly from, at it from the perspective of the older son. So as we pick up the story, the younger son, the rebellious son, has returned home, and the father is throwing him a party. Here's what happened next. The older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. This is where I find myself sympathizing with the older brother. He's out there simply doing his job. The younger brother is a train wreck, completely irresponsible. The older brother is just doing his job. I identify with that. Maybe you do too, especially if you're a rule follower or a church goer. And the story means for us to identify with the older brother. Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees those professional church people that we meet over and over again in the gospel. And they would definitely have associated with the older brother too. They considered themselves morally and religiously superior to everybody else. And definitely, they set themselves up, not only as the ultimate religious rule keepers, which in fact they weren't, but that's another story, but also the ultimate judges of just how well everyone else was keeping the rules. The story goes on. The servant said to him, your brother has returned and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry. and When he refused to enter the house, the father came out and pleaded with him. 
These verses reveal a great deal about the heart of the older brother. He becomes angry and refuses to enter his father's house. That was an insult to the father in itself, made worse because it happened in front of the father's guests. The father has to leave his guests and his party to plead with the older son to come into the house. The son is embarrassing his father in a culture where honor and respect for your father were two of the very highest values. Then the humiliation and embarrassment escalates. Look, he says to his father. Imagine addressing your father in that way. Look, he says, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast with with my friends. It's insulting, but it's also deeply revealing. The older brother reveals why he worked for his father, not out of love and respect or even duty and honor. He worked with his father to earn what he then considered to be only his due. As far as he was concerned, this father-son relationship was merely transactional. While the younger brother rebelled to get money, the older brother obeyed to get it. Neither, apparently, cared about the relationship. And while both attitudes are equally wrong, they're not equally dangerous. The latter is actually far more so. And the danger is a warning for us in our relationship with God. When you walk away from God and the church, it's clear you're walking away from God and the church. It's regrettable and can lead to more regrettable things, but it's clear what you're doing. It's far more dangerous to stay in the church, ostensibly in a relationship with God, but not really, carefully obeying all the rules, checking all the boxes. Like the older brother beginning to think that God owes you for your religious rule keeping. You fulfill your obligation, you check all the boxes, and because you do, you find yourself increasingly entitled to whatever it is you're after, to whatever it is you're coming here for, grace and favor, blessings, health, healing, heaven. Just listen to the older brother's sense of entitlement. He says, all these years I have served you. All these years. The guy has been keeping accounts on his own father. And clearly he finds the father actually owing him heavily in his debt. With the older brother, it's not his wrongdoing, it's his self-righteousness that keeps him out of his father's house. Having turned on his father, next, he turns on his younger brother. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf. Notice he says, your son, distancing himself further from the family members, trying to make his younger brother look as reprehensible as possible, which admittedly was fairly easy to do. Doubtless at this point, the guests inside the house have all drifted outside, forming an audience to watch this angry exchange because, hey, who doesn't enjoy watching the dysfunction of someone else's family on display? 
The older brother is creating disruption and division between the brothers, between the brothers and the father, and between the father and his guests. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, I hear what you're saying, but I still feel like the older brother has a point. Just doesn't seem fair the father would throw a party for his irresponsible son. It's just not fair. And you know what? You're right. It's not fair. And you know what else? You don't want fair. You never want fair. The gospel never promised to be fair. It's not fair. It's more than fair. You and I are loved by God, and we're loved by God far more than we know, more than we deserve, and more than we'll ever earn. And whether you're currently acting like the younger brother or the older one, keep in mind the Father extends grace and mercy to both. Look at how the story ends. The father said to him, my son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Father tells his older son that all he had was available to him all the time, anytime. All he had to do was ask. But in that moment, it was about the younger brother. That's what was going on. And if the older brother wanted to move forward beyond this, he was going to have to lay aside his grumbling and complaining and recognize the larger story of what his father was actually doing. Over and over again in the Gospels, when they weren't getting their way or things were not going as they thought things should go, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, grumbled and complained. They grumbled and complained time and time again. They felt like Jesus was in their way. And meanwhile, they were missing the larger picture of what God was actually doing through Jesus Christ. They were missing out on the larger story of grace. Same for us. In our day-to-day life, when we meet problems or obstacles, which we will, inevitably we will, we can get caught up in the details of those problems or obstacles and stop paying attention to what else is going on, what else God is actually doing. I don't 100% know why God is allowing some of the obstacles in your life that you're currently facing, but I do know, I do know that grumbling and complaining will never help because they never lead us in God's direction. Grumbling and complaining obscure the larger story of what God is actually doing. If you find yourself grumbling and complaining, it could be a question of your habit for sure, but it's also a question of your heart. There are certain things, and frankly, people, I'm tempted to complain about, and it's very easy for me to fall into the habit of giving in to that temptation hurting my heart in the process. When that happens to you, there are three things you can do. First thing, say a quick prayer for the very thing or person you were going to complain about. That can help you break the habit. Second thing, 
Take a moment then to reframe what you're complaining about in the larger story of grace, the larger story that it's actually a part of. For instance, your kids are currently giving you a fit and driving you crazy, but God has blessed you with children. Your boss is growing annoying. You want to quit, but you're blessed with work you find deeply satisfying. Your house is in constant need of repair. It just seems to keep on coming, but you have a home you love. Reframe the complaint within a larger story of grace. And then third, take a moment to praise God for that specific blessing. And whether or not the situation itself ever changes, prayer and praise can change your heart. In the midst of daily disappointments, grumbling and complaining doesn't work. It can't help. It only makes us bitter in the end. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise, on the other hand, always makes us better.